0: Is another special episode. We're going to look at some of the highlights from previous guest episodes. Before we jump straight in, just want to remind you, if you haven't joined the newsletter, you're missing out. You'll be the first to receive new episodes, and I'll send you free packs and samples and devices that I'm working on. But if you want to join the newsletter, go to liveproducersonline.com newsletter. Check out the link in the show notes. Also, if you don't hate me or the podcast, then please leave a Spotify review. We'd love to get that five stars, and yeah, it would really help me out. So without wasting more time, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to all these guests for joining the podcast way back in the day. And make sure all of you out there give them a like or a follow on the socials or wherever they might be. First up, we have episode 57 producing experimental bass music with Ahi. If you could go back to your like past self, like, what are some things you would say or how would you guide yourself in music production?
1: I just put out a tutorial this morning on sample selection. And man, I feel like that one would have really helped me out. It's like an easy topic to misunderstand. I see now that like making sure that all of your sounds, like in, especially in your drums, are actually full and like mm. actually sound real. I've made so many songs with subpar samples before you know and now with splice.com you know it's like it's so easy to get really good samples at a really cheap price i don't know anybody that uses all their credits every month in splice Yeah. Yeah. yeah i i sort of was attached to creating everything on my own and i just wasn't at the skill level enough to really create good stuff uh at a certain part of like my process. And now I feel like I can create most of all my own stuff, but I still use a lot of other samples too. I don't know, I had to get over this thing in my head that I wasn't as creative by using other samples. Sure. Like, I had to get, I had all these like blocks where I'm like, I have to create every yeah. thing in the song. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, everything in the world is a potential use for the thing that I'm trying to achieve. And, and that to me was like a hurdle I had to personally get over. Sure.
0: A lot of times, and like when I first started, I had the same issue as it was like, I was taking mediocre samples and then spending a lot of time trying to mix them to sound really good. Yeah, I, I feel like
1: earlier in my career, I was more obsessed with the process. Uh, and now I feel like I'm more focused on the end result mm-hmm. uh, uh, of it. And I still love creating like a lot of things originally but i I just had to open up the toolbox that you know allow other people's influence and help to inform my decisions in terms of like influencing i think it's so interesting there's like probably thousands of people who i have no idea who they are but i'm like using their samples or you know i'm just like coming across sounds that I just wouldn't have thought of before and like using those things to get inspiration from. And I feel like Mm -hmm. now more than ever, it's just like this like community like hive mind that you can just like pull ideas and put together your own thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a wealth of knowledge out there for free where
1: people can Mm -hmm. just go to. And And, and so I like to try to contribute back to that. And that's why I do my tutorials and whatnot. I was in a, Il Gates workshop in
0: Indianapolis about a year and a half ago and uh he was talking about focus more on finishing than perfecting and mm-hmm. i think that's really that's really true the hardest part is just finishing really because he could work on the same song for 12 and a half years if he really yeah. wanted to
1: yeah oh sorry hold on a second now you're good i've been getting random calls from texas numbers all morning probably you probably just want to cruise you might want to call him back
0: or something What are some of your favorite audio effects in Ableton Live?
1: We're going to talk effects. I know you go deep into this world. I mean, I have like all my like magic racks, uh, which are like effects chained together to create specific sounds. There's things that I think are unique and interesting. And then there's things that I think are useful Mm -hmm. really often. Sure. OTT is definitely the thing that I, the effect that is super useful and I use it so often yeah for so many different purposes i have a video about different ways that i use ott using the delay in in not syncing the delay to the grid and oh yeah setting it to time mode instead of sync and having like shorter delays but with lots of feedback uh really cool robotic type effects um i'd love those and yeah a lot of my process now is like using mid side eqs to turn down the sides and to like Mm. be really hyper specific upon what elements i'm choosing to be wide and what elements i'm choosing to be more mono or less wide i don't feel like i did that at all in my process until the last year two years or so yeah um and i feel like my mixes have improved so much from that and i got that idea from watching script i had it from other people but but then when i watched this skrillex video of him going through his ableton project i could see like he was using mid-side eq like all oh, the so time. many places and it was like 90 percent of the time it was ducking the sides yeah and so that way whenever there, it's like i made a video recently about stereo with and it was more about I, i've i've talked with a few people they're like i'm always trying to widen all my sounds but they can never <laughs> get wide enough yeah and it's Often because they're just widening everything, mm-hmm. and it's more about the perceptual contrast that makes it seem wider than it actually is. Yeah, by having a bunch of more mono content and then one thing that's like super wide, you're like, "Oh my god, that's so wide!" Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. 3D. It's more of a result of contrast than actual mm-hmm. like
0: width. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why we use reference tracks because yeah. That's always a good way to calibrate your ears and reference in mono, right? Just like you yeah. said. Other audio effects. I saw that you used the grain delay in that granular sy- synthesis video that I watched yeah. this morning. And I don't use that thing enough, but you got some really cool effects. You use that on your vocal. As some kind I, of I feel direction. like,
1: yeah, I feel like it's, it's an effect I don't use that much, but mm-hmm. it's like good for, I tend to separate my sound design moments from like my actual composing moments and um i feel like that's the one thing it's like fun to play with in the sound design moments where you just you get like a trippy effects kind of thing going on with that Mm -hmm. like you put on like a vocal or or some like zippy sound yeah no that's fun ableton's warp mode you can get weird with that yeah i love doing i love playing with the warp modes yeah, that that's in the granular synthesis video as well uh, yeah, yeah using texture mode is super and stretching out mm-hmm. samples is super fun that's definitely <laughs> one of my favorite ways of going about getting that sound
0: so this next episode highlight is episode 57 with elliot Callaghan, and he shares a lot of good tips and insights for aspiring artists producers whoever who might want to get into the gaming industry I, I'm actually blown away. The video game industry as a whole in 2017 in the U.S. alone was worth $18.4 billion. And I'm thinking to myself, I might be doing the wrong thing in life right now. Maybe I should be tapping more into the gaming
2: market. <laughs> yeah, man. But, it, it eclipses film, sports, like a lot, of, a lot of other entertainment avenues when combined. Game's where it's at, honestly. i yeah, still yeah. yeah.
0: be a part of it. It seems like it for sure.
2: Maybe for anybody
0: like myself who doesn't really know anything about this process or what that looks like, what does it look like when maybe you approach a company or they approach you with a developer and saying, here's our idea for a game? Um, what does that look like?
2: Oh, man. I mean, it, it really varies depending on the, the project, the scale of it, I guess the experience level of the developer. I mean, you have to go through the sort of process of discovering what aesthetic It should really have. And, you know, that's one thing that has me so excited about the medium of games is that it's still relatively young since its inception, right? So I think that there's a lot of unexplored territory there. But a lot of times it's conversations about the emotion and the feeling that you want to have, how you want to portray the environment or the world. But then a lot of it also comes down to discussions with, you know, the design lead, because hopefully you're working with a team. Or the design lead is forming the the ideas of the experience that they want to create similar to like a film director and they're conscious of audio as reinforcing that vision and helping to make that thing happen right that being said i've definitely worked on teams as well when you know the the design lead is just unaware of how audio can help what they want to create like how it can reinforce their vision and so um, lots of times, it's it's a lot of questions and back and forth and asking for references to really get them to think about how audio fits in with everything else that they've been cooking up about what this thing is going to be. And you know, lots of times it'll also turn into like, "Well, I think it'd be really cool if you did this right," kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. So you're going to help guide that process too. Sure. So a lot of times, do they already have?
0: I guess, an environment already built with these graphics and gives you like a visual perspective of
2: the kind of audio you're scoring for? Or is it just very project by project? It's, it's very project by project. I've, I've worked on things where they just sent me Google images of words that they wanted, <laughs> which was incredibly helpful, you know, yeah. at work. Yeah. Um, I've also worked on projects like, uh, I just started one right now where they've been working on a vertical slice or um like a vertical slice the, the least amount of content of a game created to give someone the idea of what the entire game is going to be like right they'll create a vertical slice and then test it out to see if they want to continue development with it and they've been working on it for a number of months at this point and we just got brought on and we have two months and they have a ton of stuff but it's just like jump in here's what we got make it happen kind of thing. yeah yeah so it's it's really all all over the place
0: do you ever receive like a video from them that you import to Live that you use to score around? Is that part of your process?
2: Yeah, um, for any sort of linear moment or cinematic, I'm always taking it from the gameplay or the cinematic itself and then scoring it to picture in Ableton. But even if I'm doing something that's not linear per se, or say I'm creating a you know an interactive music system that has a number of uh, you know passages in terms of music. Mm-hmm. And then I'm playing with systems to govern how you you transition from one to the other, even when I'm doing that, I'll still just take some video of gameplay and then have that available in Ableton just so I can quickly reference it as well as any yeah. other like musical or game references that the developers give me to.
0: Sure. So is part of your job also being able to create those easy transitions? So for example, I mean, the legend of Zelda, I know this might be a wild example, but, you know, Zelda, you're running around, you enter one world into the next, right? And the music instantly just kind of fades and transitions into different pieces. Is that something the developer, you just hand over blocks of songs for different environments to them? Or are you part of like the ongoing scoring between these like virtual environment transitions? I'm just curious. It might be a weird question,
2: but Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, uh, And and again, this is what separates games from linear media, right? In linear media, you know when and how things are always going to happen. And in games, you don't. So you have to be able to create systems and assets that will allow for any sequence of events to happen in a way to where it still feels, feels fluid and purposeful. You can just go from one area to another and then the loop that you've been playing fades out and then the loop fades in. But you can also have music shift and change depending on gameplay activity, depending on what the result of that change is based on gameplay activity, that can dictate the music going to a different sequence of music as opposed to what it would have gone to otherwise. Hmm. Um, So then you can create a seamless transition from this, say, you know, high intensity version of the music into a you know, medium intensity version of the music into this new area so that it can fluidly go from one to the other. So it doesn't have that awkward, a thing ended and a new thing started. Like you're constantly trying to create that illusion of we knew you were going to do stuff in this way and in that amount of time. So that the player is never taken out of that immersive experience. Yeah, we do anything and everything in terms of audio. So that's the music, that's sound design, that's, you know, casting voice actors, recording the sessions, and also implementing them as well. Because, again, the thing that's specific to games is, you know, you don't have a rigid timeline. You you construct events and systems that govern when and how these things play back. So you need to know about all that stuff and what the options are before you ever start making anything.
0: So have you had the chance to just start blowing up stuff in your backyard and recording it for fun? Like we, <laughs> we just had the 4th of July, you know, that could be a really great sample pack. You can...
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a now that you mentioned it, man, that's a missed opportunity. That would have been a great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Just... yeah I, I think the, the coolest stuff, which, you know, if you're a sound designer, this is probably par for a course. I'm much more of a composer than a sound designer myself, but you know, um, other people on the team, just, just nail it on the sound design front. But I, I've probably just destroyed too many vegetables in the line <laughs> of work. Vegetables, specifically okay. vegetables. Specifically, yeah. I mean, especially if you want to do any sort of like bone cracks like celery. And, and you know, it, it gets into really nuanced things like having room temperature celery as opposed to, say, frozen celery. Because uh, all the yeah. water, like celery is mostly water, right? So you're freezing it and that's going to give a different timbre as opposed to just regular room temperature stuff. And then it gets into all sorts of other things, too. I've seen talks where people have attached, essentially, a microphone to a stethoscope, and then they put the stethoscope on different things, and the results you get from that are really crazy and cool. Yeah, in the realm of game audio, you obviously need to create the audio assets themselves, whether that's music, voice, whatever. But then... The way that you implement the audio or actually make it play back when and how you want it to is by designing these audio events. And it's been a very tedious task for programmers and audio programmers for a long time. But you know, within the last decade, there's been an advent of what's called audio middleware. So instead of someone having to go in and actually use code to write in all of the specifics for all the sounds and how they play. You go into this audio middleware, and it's laid out in a way so a sound person can understand, um, you know, how how this sound is going to play back and what's going to dictate how it plays back and when it happens. So, like case in point, um, we're on a project right now where, say, we'll have a level, and there are like four short cinematics throughout the level, and I'm just talking about the music right now. Yeah, but I've got the main base layer loop of music that repeats over and over, but I'm doing vertical resequencing with randomization. So whenever it repeats, it'll randomly add or subtract layers from it. So it doesn't sound repetitive and, you know, variations like that are integral to music composition. Right. So the player doesn't realize that that's like the same musical idea over and over again. But then at the same time, I'm also connecting the progression in this music event based on the value of a parameter. And so I'm telling a programmer, hey, whenever we get to this point in the level, when, say, we're playing this cinematic, change the value of this parameter, and then my event that I've designed says, hey, that parameter's changed. All right, now I'm going to go over to this sequence of music in this way in time, and I'm going to play this you know section of music and whatnot. So it gets really, really deep mm-hmm. in terms of designing how you want this experience to be, but it, it requires a whole nother skill set in order to do it. If someone
0: wanted to start producing audio for gaming, like they're brand new to this, they want to go into it, they're gamers themselves and they use Ableton, like where should they start? What kind of advice
2: would you give to somebody like that? Dude, that's the question, right? (laughs) Right. So assuming that they're already awesome at their craft, whether it's sound design or music. Yeah. Okay. If you've got that Ultimately, the way that I I view like getting gigs and opportunities is, you know, people want to work with their friends and they want to work with people that they're comfortable with. So ultimately, you know, try to be people's friend. Don't try and sell them. Try and be their friend. They will naturally want to work with you. And if for whatever reason, it's difficult for you to be their friend, maybe it's just a long distance. It's difficult to get in touch with them or to, you know, really cultivate that relationship, whatever it is, do anything and everything you can so that if someone is just basically scoping you out, you just look as awesome as possible. And like you can (laughs) solve the most amount of problems for them. So that's definitely going to be establishing a formal business entity. Just do it on your own. There's also a lot of legal benefits to doing that. If you're going to take this seriously, legally take yourself seriously too. Mm -hmm. Definitely that. Um, Yeah. I write off all my plugins and music gear. (laughs) yeah, yeah. 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 I do that too. And if, um, you know, and, and if I buy a game because I'm trying to research on a project, I write that off too. Yeah. Like it's, it's part of what I do. I would also say like have plethora of work examples and yeah. have it easily accessible to the people that might hire you. Like a website and, with a portfolio type of thing. Have a website with a portfolio and have it packaged in a way to where someone's going to be able to look at exactly what they're interested in. Yeah. If you are trying to find game gigs And then the only stuff on your website is commercials. Like a game developer is not going to care. They're not. It's different. Like it is a different skill to write for a commercial and to make that happen in the 15 or 30 second spot for the brand than it is to, you know, figure out how to make an interactive music system for a game and nail that aesthetic. That makes sense. If if I'm a developer, like, cool, you can write for Coke. That means nothing. (laughs) So package things so that they can get exactly what they want. Like case in point, the Ubisoft gig, when they were first looking for people to audition for it, over the years, I've just you know kept all of the tracks that I've been working on on a single SoundCloud account, and I've made playlists of all these different genres. So mm. not only was I able to send them something that was specific to games, but I was like, hey, here's my playlist for games that are in this kind of style and aesthetic. Let me know what you think. Nice. You know? But to be able to have that right, available... Right takes a lot of time, takes a sure. lot of organization. So it's, yes. it's one of those things where you know, you're working on tracks now that probably aren't hypothetically going to get you a gig for about five or eight years until you just stumble into something. That's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. A lot of us listening have
0: just a massive archive of half-finished songs just laying around on our hard drive, and that could be a portfolio builder. Just finish it off, do a quick master, put it up on SoundCloud and you just never know. That's more content, right? That could be used later.
2: Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, and especially if you're interested in the production music side of things, like take Mm -hmm. that, finish it, find a library, send it to them, just Mm -hmm. wait for that passive income, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of independent games that are being uh, released these days. So, uh, you know, once somebody builds their portfolio, they get their website, they have SoundCloud, what kind of outreach could these people be
2: doing? Somebody who wants to get into the gaming side? You know, what does that look like? I mean, there's, there's always so many different forums and online communities that they can just be present in um, that can always lead to something. Um, so much of it is, I, I feel, being present and visible in the community as well as to the individual people that can make these decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So that is being helpful to the community. If you're only trying to take from the community, the community will not give to you. right. Yeah. Give, give three times as much as you try to take. That's just Mm -hmm. my kind of like rule of thumb. So it's got that Facebook groups, that's forums, that's also reaching out to people individually, right? Actually the biggest game changer for me was when I took some courses on business And I discovered the world of CRMs or customer relationship managers, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's something that so many people like in our field never talk about. Um, That's true, actually. (laughs) And I don't know why it's, it's integral. Again, you want to be someone's friend or you want them to feel comfortable, right? You're not going to achieve either of those things if you're not actually, you know, making an effort to stay in touch with people and be a good friend or make them feel comfortable with you. Right you know, there's a ton of CRMs out there. Like I personally use Nutshell, but I've used HubSpot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's things like MailChimp so you can stay in touch with people. I mean, yeah. do all this stuff with tact, but, um, you know, if you're not, people don't care about you un- until you care about them first. So, That's you know, true. Yeah, care about them and see how you can help them.
0: This next episode highlight is with the artist Dressage. She talks a lot about vocal music production and different tips with that. I just kind of want to get your take on like how you process and work with your vocals because you did a really awesome breakdown. You shared some of your tools, microphones, things like that. So I'd love to just talk about that briefly. And I think that could be helpful for a lot of listeners that are processing vocals. Like, what does that look like? And maybe you can share what you did with some of that tutorial video as well.
3: Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that it's interesting. You don't see, I mean, now you're starting to see obviously more women in this field and a lot of women, not all, but like a lot of women come from a vocal background as well. So like as a singer, my brain works in a way of arranging harmonies. So when I'm producing, this is what I reach for. And these are the textures that I reach for. And I find that I find that a lot of singers have a really amazing ear for like thinking of vocals in terms of space and you know, meaning like panning and like spatial effects like delay and reverb. But then also like how many layers you're going to do because two layers versus four layers of a single part is going to sound different. It's going to have a different effect. Singing is so um, human-based and emotion-based. I think that once you can transition like the vocal mind into those just being extensions of of being a vocalist and being an arranger you can really start to like play with the palette of recording and panning and producing and making all these different effects and processes of a vocal sort of like and this is this is what i say in the breakdown a lot is like how am i going to impact the listener with the lyric and how am i going to like dress up the way i sing how many layers i sing where i put them in the in the field the left and right field and how, how that is essentially like serving the song. Like that's, that's kind of like my highest thing that I'm thinking of all times when, I'm, when people are producing, you know. Mm-hmm. Something that I will do a lot is play with um, the juxtaposition of dry and wet and bringing those, you know, whether it's like a crazy delay for a moment or a really lush, beautiful, dreamy uh, reverb that I am then side-chaining to the kick is mm-hmm. create different moments in the song with different different effects on the vocal based on like what world you want to create in each section cool um, another part for sure is like layering like i call it a stack so i will usually do usually i guess it's kind of like in choruses but it really depends on where what kind of song it is but i'll do a lead vocal in the center and then i'll do a wide pan left and right double triple performance i usually will double i'll usually do doubles of like every harmony line um and pan left and right but varying degrees of like left and right. So I, I like to kind of create like super wide this and then we kind of like start cascading in a little bit so you can create this space of vocals that live in different parts of the stereo field too.
0: So like the same exact thing you're saying twice, but you're just like recording it two different takes. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And and then like spreading it one take left and one right to create that wave. Like get- a Haas effect. Yeah.
3: Right. And so and you can also do that um you know, you can choose that to be of specific moment. Whereas like if you, I do this a lot where I want things to be really narrow, very small, very dry. And then for the chorus, I want it to like blow just up, pop. Be very spatial. And so that stuff is really exciting to me because I think that I think that the human voice is such a unique tool. Even if you're not singing lyrics, even if it's just like you're creating, I don't know, like a chordal instrument and you're putting it into simpler and you're playing your voice. I think it's such a like a unique human experience to hear a voice and then yeah. use it as a production flavor.
0: Totally. Yeah. One thing I thought that was really interesting in that tutorial video you shared was like you're automating even the autotune for certain phrases and notes. And I see a lot of people who just, they'll slap autotune on there. They'll just dial it in and let it go. But I mean, you already have a great voice and your tracks sound wonderful, but you know, so you can nail a lot of those notes. You have great, like a good ear for the singing in key you don't need a ton of vocal processing to hit those notes but i see that even like you were sweetening certain phrases where like the vibe was there and you loved the pronunciation that you had with your words but maybe the note was just just needed cleaned up a little bit so i was really like impressed with your attention to detail and how you're automating just auto-tuned for certain phrases which hey. sounded cool
3: um and also you know like melodyne at- absolutely does this as well. Um, and you could interchange the way I talked about turning able or turning, um, auto on and off in that way. But, but yeah, I like to, um, and as I was saying in, in that, um, tutorial, like, I think that the more, if you're like a, you're of a level of singing where you don't need to rely on auto tune and you can probably get the notes with just enough practicing it and doing enough takes to where you're getting it. Into like the right placement in your mask of your in resonance of your face, really is. And then, and then like the breathing it's kind of all connected. It's like this I don't know, it's like this weird physical thing where I know that if I sing a song, if I sing a note a certain way and it feels this way in my body, it's most likely going to be in tune. And so, that's only good to perfect. And if you're, if it's like a vocal that you're really trying to get to be like that. And then, yeah, like you're we saying, when the vibe is dope and when like the word the way you said the word is cool. Like, yeah, turn on autotune and, and help that little three-note run, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. Another thing you said in that video was um like how you just spent thousands of hours of just practicing your like intonation and singing into a dry mic where you would just like try to stylistically come up with how you said certain words and phrases and like the tonality of your voice. I've seen a lot of newer vocalists as they're getting into like music production where they, like out of the box, they're just like, Ah, I hate my voice, but they love to sing and they think their voice sounds great until they actually start singing to a microphone and hear it back. I think that was interesting advice that you gave, just to like practice how you phrase all of your words over and over and over. It makes a huge yeah. difference, right?
3: Humbling, and I think that when most singers step into a to a studio for the first time and they hear their voice and they're not, they're like having their first experience with recorded vocal. They're like, oh my god, it's, it's- <laughs> Being humble is so good. And there are so many yeah. days where I'm like, oh my God, I sound so bad right now. Like what you ate that day, how you're feeling emotionally, like how much sleep you got, how much water you're drinking. So yeah, um, it's like a very holistic, strange thing to be a vocalist and and be recording every day and getting really you know, used to capturing your voice.
0: You gave us some really good tips as far as like automating vocals, widening vocals, creating these different patterns and training your voice to sound good if you don't mind, like kind of some of your favorite plugins for building your own vocal chain that you use.
3: Um, Well, in my studio, my like hardware vocal chain is my Manly reference cardioid microphone, which um, I've said before and I'll say it again is wonderful. It's definitely at a price point that is like once you're starting to get kind of serious and Mm -hmm. graduated, like I think the the mic that you could have before this is like literally an SM seven by sure it's like $400 and
0: yes, Michael Jackson used that microphone too. It's a pretty famous one.
3: Um, And that's what I tell a lot of people, especially who are like, I want to like singers who are like, I want to learn how to start recording my voice, but like, I don't want to spend a bunch of money. I'm like, get an SM7. Like you will be fine until you're Mm -hmm. ready. So that's going through a great river. So I have a API Lunchbox 500 series on my desk. Nice. Um, That's going through a Great River 500 series pre- have a model number on it i think it's just the great river i'm not really sure what it's modeled after but i wouldn't be surprised if it's like an eve or something and then i have a shadow hills mono optograph compressor
0: Ooh, shadow hills is no joke i love them they make I mean, amazing stuff
3: and honestly like i'm such a sucker but i would just buy it because they're literally their pots and their knobs are like so big and beautiful and they just keep-
0: <laughs> that aesthetic goes a long way
3: yeah, it's like all of the old, you know, the stuff that you see the Beatles recording on where it's like knobs are like this big and you're like, I want to turn it. Um, so so yeah, so mic, pre-compressor. I have an Apollo 8P that I use. So I have great access to the UA.
0: I love their stuff. Huge fan.
3: Yeah, and then I, so I think like that's, I'm lucky to have gotten to the point where I can afford those things to really make my mic vocal signal coming into my computer sound really good already. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically with this mic, it works for my voice really nicely. One well, of my favorite, I mean, I use like Pro Q3 all day by FabFilter for, yes. for um, EQ. I love the 560 UAD um, API. Uh, I guess the graphic equal EQ. Yeah, just the sliders.
0: Okay, um, I haven't played that yet.
3: It's great because it's just, it, you just have like, I don't know however many frequency band choices and it's like more right. awesome so you can be like you can use your ears a little more than like with the pro Q is great because you can see everything happening but mm-hmm. it, i think there's there's a validity in taking away the visual aspect of what's happening yes because
0: mm-hmm. you look at it and then you just start want to playing with more frequencies and you can just like dial in and catch the little resonant frequencies and you just start yeah. pulling those little spikes down and you get lost in that sometimes
3: yeah and then i really like the ua 1176 re the rev a that's what it is yeah, rev yeah Two. yeah i think that's a that's a great like i use that on my vocals all the time
0: yeah uh, good stuff
3: effects wise i've really been liking the valhalla delay recently
0: oh yes yes valhalla is where it's at for reverb delays
3: and they're super massive is really also quite fun
0: yeah, that's like a weird Frankenstein mix of like all their plugins into one. It's kind of fun.
3: Yeah. Um, I also discovered this like interesting, It's it doesn't do that much, but um, this Waves plugin called the King's Microphone. It's really interesting. It's just a modeler of all of the different King and Queens of England's like speaking microphones that they s- addressed their crowds with. So they're like, really? super- yeah, it's really interesting. So you can choose like Queen Elizabeth, like. This one and, and yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, so that's something that I found recently that I was like, this is useful for very few things, but really fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also little Ultra Boy I use all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Shout out Sound Toys.
3: Yeah, yeah, Sound Toys stuff all all day. You love them. So yeah, those are. I would say that's like my general. Also, um, UA makes a really good uh, flanger doubler by MXR that I love a lot. So if I want like uh, okay fun effects that are yeah, more like modulating effects. I'll go to that.
0: Nice. You've got a lot of good toys. It's a yeah. lot of good... It's a great setup.
3: I print all of my things and like all of my effects and everything, but I will give it off to a friend to mix it um, because I just literally can't listen to it anymore. Like, <laughs> <it's>...
0: <laughs> I feel that. It's like you start to hate it at some point when you hear yeah, it so many times.
3: Totally. And then you start to make really dumb decisions of like, oh, yep. this wrong i'm gonna re-record it and it's like don't touch it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah one of my friends uh Corey miller he's a platinum mastering engineer here in indianapolis where i'm at and he he says like if you play with it more than three times like the same knob or something and you still don't know what up what's up or down just you're in a good place leave it move on with life you'll be happier later this next highlight is with Yuda Benatar. He shares a lot of good production tips and predictions on the future of music and talks about Beat Lab Academy, his school in LA, and a lot of other really great producer insights. What is some of the best advice you could give an artist who maybe has already started producing, knows the basics, but is just really struggling to keep that inspiration, that fuel to keep driving him through these crazy times to keep making music, to do what they love?
4: Like, right. That's a very good question. And it's a very tricky question because we are facing, you know, unprecedented times. I would say that a couple of things that m- might have been one of the most filled resources with inspiration was live shows. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I went to like a club, a show. I came mm-hmm. back so inspired I didn't go to sleep. I just made music. Yeah. So that's something that kind of was taken away. And another thing that is somewhat was taken away is also the... This, uh, the, social, the social interactions were a lot of times that's sometimes why we make the music to play to other people. So they get excited and we feel good about that. Yeah. And that might also have gone missing, especially even uh, when we talk about like this, all this Zoom and the online meetings and all those stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to get interaction. For example, Zoom uh, performances, live shows for, from Zoom, they can, they can hear like people clapping or getting some interaction with the audience. Yeah. So I would say that the interaction is might be the biggest thing when it comes to inspiration. Because right now we're talking about music inspiration, but maybe we can even take it to working out. It might yeah. even be hard to get inspired to work out right now because of the, I would say, because of the lack of social interaction. Mm-hmm. So if you're lacking inspirations, I would say the best thing to do right now, besides obviously listening to new music, new music, is always a source of good inspiration yes, yes. Um, is to try to get a more social interaction as much as possible. And if possible in groups, if we go right now to a listening session and like five people, everyone played their recent beats, we're going to get jealous or upset or whatever it may be internally, yeah, yeah. I'm not expressing it, but yeah. internally. So that will push us, will give us the fuel Go yeah. back and, and work some more. And that also uh, comes with like uh, any other uh, form of the things that this uh, isolation causes us to do. It's very hard. I'm also struggling really? with the inspiration, with the music. Yeah. Some days it's easy. Some days it's like there's no way I'm uh, mm-hmm. even opening the computer.
0: Uh, what do you see for the future um, in the sense of like technology? How is technology shaping how music is produced right now?
4: That's a very good, okay. Excellent question. Love that question. Uh, A few predictions. And those those are all assumptions. I would say, I would love, let's first put what I would love to see. It seems like we're still forever only creating music for our human hearing range, 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. If we make music anything below or above it, we can't hear it. We cannot consume it in some way. Unless you're a dog. Unless you're a dog. dog. Or (laughs) Or a planet. You can hear (laughs) (laughs) that. So there is assumption that there are some theories that it is makes actually affect like all the supersonic and subsonic. If you have them, they do affect in some way and the supersonic microphones and so on. But I would love at some point where, you know, we're starting to get some more uh, uh, enhancements for the human body to maybe install some device underneath the ear here that will expand the human hearing range. And then I will be very interested to see how, you know, how many more tools does it give us uh, as musicians? So that's, that's one thing, because what made me think about it is the limit of the speakers, like the, the, amplifi- the amplification right. that we have. You go 30 years, it still sounds pretty good. Yeah. It still sounds pretty good. Like amplification didn't go so far uh, considering other fields of technology that exponentially grew. Like the, the speakers and the studio monitors, okay, they're better, but it's not like revolutionary. Hmm. Um, maybe the bows, like the small ones, maybe that was somewhat yeah. evolutionary with the size. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that made me think about expanding the human hearing range. Um, besides that, when it comes to creation, uh, I would say when it uh, regards to music, what I see is this, and I don't know how long, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, at some point uh, our uh, role as a musician is gonna switch, it's going to morph into somewhat more of a conductor rather than an actual active musician. So we'll we'll probably kind of give the computer or an AI or some sort. Interesting. System of rules. Just kind Mm -hmm. of like, hey, I wanted to be in C major and I want to be that. I want you to use these instruments and I want kind of a system of rules. But the computer will actually make the music Mm. because there might not be a point anymore to do it. Why sit on Ableton for five hours a day when I Mm. can talk to Siri and tell her exactly what I want. That's that's uh,
0: wild. That's a wild part.
4: Obviously, there's going to be a lot of customization so people can go deep and stuff. Right. But I would say that at the end, end, uh, there might no longer be a need for offline musicians, for musicians who are not on stage. We'll see. I don't know. So at some point, point we'll get to a point where the algorithmic music, the uh, AI music, is better than the human music. That's, I mean... Hmm. inevitable i think that's inevitable
0: then that's an interesting conversation i'm sorry i don't mean to cut you off
4: no no absolutely i do want to i do want to mention something about this the the live performance because if we can get to a point where you can make a humanoid a robot that looks like a human exactly are we gonna mind if it's gonna look and sound exactly on stage are we gonna mind it's not real people I personally would. I think that would drive me crazy. Right, but right now, but, yeah. we're thinking in our modern uh, uh, right. minds of common sense. Right. When robots are going to be like, you're going to see them everywhere. You're going to go to the bus stop. It's going to be a robot helping you go on the, on yeah. the bus, yeah. or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, that maybe we'll think differently about it. But
0: we all know machine learning and AI is getting better and smarter over the years. Better. And I think they're going to yeah.
4: be on the verge of breaking through that next level of general AI Interesting. at some point in the near yeah. future. Yeah, And then then it's the sky's the limit, you know.
0: This next episode highlight is with Sanjay. He creates a lot of video tutorials on YouTube, reviewing popular music gear and all things like that. So we talk about a variety of gear in different categories in this episode. And this is episode number 62 with Sanjay.
5: So I actually made a video on what to do when you're uninspired. Mm-hmm. So you're not just wasting time, right? You're like sitting in your studio, like nothing's coming out right, but yeah. don't waste that time. And one of the things I told people to do was to create drum racks. Yeah, So definitely. you know, take all those samples, find samples that you like that, that go together, create those drum racks so that when you are inspired, you've got a launching point. And I think that's a great idea. So that's excellent advice that you're giving your students. Uh, the cameras that I use for filming. So I use those for pretty much everything, except if I'm doing like a Zoom call or something. I've just used my iPhone or my laptop camera. Yeah. But for my filming, I use two cameras. So one is the high-end high end one. That's a Panasonic GH5. That thing is expensive, but I get the exact same quality for my videos from their cheaper model, the G85, which is... I mean, I can't call it cheap. I think it's around $1,000. But for what you're getting, yeah. it's an excellent camera. So yeah, if there's anybody out there trying to make some YouTube videos and want something really good quality, the Panasonic G85 is fantastic. Nice. Um, yeah, and I actually chose those two cameras so I could uh, you know, change the lenses between them. And the, the video looks exactly the same between them. So yeah, it's a great camera. If, if anyone out there is getting into YouTubing, the G85, go, go with it. So for my, for my YouTube videos, yeah, I'm just capturing it on SD card and then I import it into my okay. computer. It's, yeah, it's not a direct feed. I do want to improve my live uh, streams. Yeah. So I've, I want to get something like the Elgato to, to be able to do that with my DSLR. Yeah. So, yeah, because right now I, I just did a live Q&A the other day and I just used the, my iPhone camera. The quality was fine, but I know I can do a lot better. So I, I got to yeah. try that. Yeah, I got to try yeah. the Elgato stuff.
0: I mean, video capture cards are not cheap, but it's a worthy investment. If you're spending that much on a good camera you want to use it with, it's, it's definitely yeah. worth it, right? If you could only own one large keyboard, MIDI keyboard, what would it be? Anything.
5: Um, I have to say the S88 by Native Instruments. That's the one that's behind me right now. Okay. So that's my main keyboard. Yeah. And, um, and I'll tell you why. I, I don't recommend it to everyone. So why it helps me so much is that it helps my workflow. So things are much faster when I'm working with that and complete control because the integration with the Native Instruments software is near perfect. So finding presets, modifying presets um, is just super easy with the S series Native Instruments keyboards. So... For me, speed is really important because I'm creating new pieces of music and I have to put them out by Saturday mm-hmm. or Sunday. So I need to move fast. And this really helps with that. Now, it doesn't have drum pads on it. It, doesn't, it only has, you know, eight encoders. And so you can get more, like with the Keylabs, right? With the Arturi Key Keylabs, you get yeah. faders and stuff. You don't have that with this. So it's, yeah. it's a little limited. So I don't recommend it to everyone, but yeah. it really works with my workflow really well.
0: Yeah, I find that those keys feel really nice. I've played on that before. I have some friends who have it. And some of them actually purchased it because it helps them with some of their music theory. Because you have all the keys that can light up and can tell you which notes to play if you want to lock it in a specific key. So I feel like that's a cool feature
5: that a lot of MIDI keyboards don't already have too. Yeah. Yeah. And the keys feel really good. So I prefer hammer action weighted, fully weighted keys. Mm-hmm. So the S88 has that. So it feels much better for me as uh you know, since I was, I've, I've been a pianist for a long time. Yeah. Um, the Arterio also, also has the KeyLab 88, which has really nice keys as well. So that's another really great keyboard. Cool.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Uh, If you haven't left a Spotify review, please do so. It would really help me out. And join the newsletter. You can check out all the links in the show notes. Make sure you give all these wonderful guests a follow or a like. Um, Go check out their stuff. I try to do a decent job of researching some of these guests before they're on the podcast, and I think they have a lot of wisdom and knowledge and things that they can teach you. So. They're putting a lot of time and effort into what they do. So make sure you give them a follow. Support them the best you can. And I've included all their links in the show notes as well. Check back on Tuesdays for new episodes to this podcast. Stay tuned uh, with the newsletter. I'll give you updates and also send you new packs and freebies and stuff. And let you know when the newest episodes are coming out. So a lot of new exciting stuff. Once again, thanks for the support. Much love to all of you. And until next time.